I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Save Our Planet podcast. I'm your host, Lottie Diel, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Richie Vandenberg, who is the co-founder of Hidden Sea Wines. Now, Hidden Sea Wines is an Australian wine company that has come out of the South Australian coast. In this episode, we're talking all about kind of Hidden Sea Wines philosophy, how they are trying to redefine the wine industry and make it more sustainable, which is a lot more challenging and harder than it may sound. So without further ado, let's just get straight into this episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I just wanted to first of all know, how did you become first interested in theatre and using it as a platform to address climate change issues? Because I feel like it's a very unique approach and one that I absolutely love, but I'd love to know kind of, yeah, where does your inspiration come from or was there kind of a specific event or experience that motivated you? Yeah, sure. So my my father was a is a climate scientist, was an environmental scientist who studies turbulence and wind flow over plant canopies. So I was sort of, I guess, tuned into the kind of climate conversation all the way back in when I was very, very small in the 80s and the 90s. My dad and his colleagues would be kind of talking about the greenhouse effect and then global warming and, and then climate change as the language shifted. And um, I saw kind of up close as I was growing up this, this strange phenomenon of all of these very nerdy scientists, you know, meteorologists and climate scientists, suddenly becoming really involved in the media. Suddenly, you know, these people who <laughs> back in the 70s and 80s, you would never get a, a climate scientist to talk on TV. It would be the most boring thing in the world. But suddenly they, these people were being invited to do interviews to talk about the greenhouse effect. And over the sort of 80s and 90s, I saw them be suddenly hit by this campaign of, of disinformation and misinformation. And these scientists were not equipped to deal with that onslaught. They just really weren't. And I, it was really distressing to see a lot of these really hardworking scientists, you know, my dad's colleagues and friends, who would just get kind of really dispirited and really kind of upset that they were being kind of hounded by these dishonest journalists and put in this this horrible position. So when I started making theatre in the early 2000s, my, my friends in Canberra, we had this idea that we could use theatre as a way to bridge what was happening in the sciences with, I guess, a, a broader general public. We thought we could sort of find a way to translate that conversation taking place over there and connect it to people in the way that art can connect and engage people emotionally rather than intellectually. But it turns out that was wrong. That was a mistake and it didn't work. It really crashed and burned. So I spent years my kind of 20s and, and early 30s, years trying to find a way to 
make climate science connect with people or try and translate these ideas into something that would engage people and change people's minds and spur people to action. And it turns out that, that art can't do that, that actually what I thought would be possible is not possible. You can't use art to change people's minds. You can't use art to spur people to action. It just doesn't work like that. And so I was, I really found out like after many years of doing this work that I, I just sort of pursued this whole failed project of trying to create change through art. So that's how I got involved by kind of a really, a wrong, a wrong assumption. I think one of the most powerful things in all of that is that you're still so positive and you're still doing it and you're still kind of really out there sharing, spreading these messages and really pushing towards a better future for all of us. So when you say it didn't work, I'm I'm baffled because for me, I'm kind of, I was nodding along going, yes, this makes sense. Yes, we want to feel emotion. <laughs> yes, we want to feel a connection to this. So do you have any kind of like hypothesis about like what went wrong? I'm sure you've probably thought and dwelled over this for the past 20 years. It's so logical, isn't it, right? Like art engages with people emotionally and, you know, people, it, art helps shape our identity. And obviously the way we respond and engage to the climate issue is based on our identity and how we perceive ourselves. So surely art should be able to help create that shift and help nudge people into action. But um, the real, the break in the logic, what I didn't realize until way too late is that if you try to make art with a view to changing people's minds, you are going to make some very bad art. And I have made some very bad art. I've made some art that was earnest and beseeching people or hectoring people. I've done all of the things and uh, none of it was good. None of it was worth seeing. What I was left with, finally, I kind of let go of all this and I'd spent, you know, years trying to, I'd done both things that were trying to inspire action from my community, you know, the kinds of people that would show up to see a climate theatre show. You can imagine what kind of people they are. And on the other hand, trying to connect with people on the other side of the aisle, you know, reaching across and engaging with mining companies and people in, in kind of business and industry, making works that would sort of get me into boardrooms with uh, with those people. And both of those works, both of those kinds of works, in the end of the day, they weren't they weren't art that I was sort of excited by and proud of and, and could stand behind. What I was left with was actually being like, you know what, I I want to make theatre that is a good night out. That's a night out that that people will want to come out and see. And um, it just so happens that the thing that I want to talk about, the thing that I'm excited about, is this incredible moment in the earth's history that we're living through when i dropped all the rest of it when i dropped all the intention of engaging people on a particular political level or encouraging particular social actions what i was left with was this this fascination and curiosity i mean i don't know what this stuff makes you feel Lottie, but for me when i look at this stuff i feel you know all of the classics like dread and fear and anger and grief but also this uh, euphoria and exhilaration because like the earth is transforming around us and we're alive in this moment and, and we're aware of it and we can see it changing and we're a part of it and we can do something about it. That's incredible. Like this moment that we're living in, in the earth's history is like nothing else. And we can talk about it and we can share it and we can unpack it together. And that's, that's kind of all it is for me. I'm just, I'm just want to make work for anyone who's curious about the world, anyone who's interested in this moment and time. 
I love the way that you're putting it, that moment in time, because it is, you are right. It's something that we don't often think about. We're caught up in the everyday monotony and we're on this path and we read the doom and gloom headlines and we can look at, I don't know, more natural disasters happening than ever before. But you're right. If we look at it as this kind of like unique opportunity and kind of what are we going to do? We're the ones that are here to witness the planet at this point in time. So what are we going to do to create the future and to change the future? So what are some of the kind of the things that we can expect from the show or what are you kind of hoping that, I don't want you to spoil it too much, but kind of like give me a couple of little spoilers and teasers. (laughs) Okay, so I mean where this show came from particularly is, is that something happened in the last few years, maybe maybe roughly five years ago, I, I think I became aware of it around 2018, which is that before the late 2010s, you couldn't get people to talk about this stuff except by really twisting their arms. You know, climate work, anything that was art, art about the climate conversation, it was just, it was like pulling teeth. And then suddenly there was this shift. There became this, everything broke loose, it feels like. You know, in the political sphere, suddenly there was this huge shift post-Paris agreement where businesses and, and governments were signing up to net zero, you know, sincerely or not. In the kind of activist space, you had Extinction Rebellion appear, the school strike, suddenly this huge new movement of activism that was both larger and more extreme than anything that had gone before. You had scientists in journals who were putting forward proposals for discussion that were just way more extreme than anything that would have been acceptable even a few years earlier. You had climate deniers really shift tactics and suddenly you know the fossil fuel lobby was moving from a kind of classic climate denial to greenwashing and and kind of predatory delay and then in the real world the climate impacts started hitting just faster and harder than any model had predicted and just people on the front lines of that all around the world really suddenly the number of people experiencing those shocks just escalated I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I think for me, you know, being in this space for a while, the conversation just just transformed. And now, in the last few years, people want to talk about it. The energy is incredible. Before five years ago, the only people who would want to come to climate theatre were basically activists, and they came to be told essentially that the world was fucked and that it was our fault and that it was this real kind of Protestant self-flagellation vibe in the crowd. But now, the last five years, it's younger people coming to these shows. It's people from all walks of life. It's, it's different kinds of people coming not to be punished with bad news but coming to be part of the conversation. So for me, this show has simply been an attempt to capture some of the incredible things unfolding in all these different spaces in the last few years, policy, activism, science, climate denial on the front lines of impacts. And so this show is basically 30 short snapshots, the most fascinating stories from the, from the real world of the last few years. It sounds very interesting and something that I feel like I like the snapshots and I like that whole accessibility perspective that you're going for and it isn't just because I feel like so many in so many different 
I don't know, you go to talks, you go to seminars, you go to workshops, you go to all of these things. And like you say, you're talking to the converted, you're talking to the people who already understand it. They already know the information that you're relaying, but to open it up and to have that dialogue in a safe place for people to come and ask questions and to be involved in the conversation. Because I find there's such a divide from the people who know so much and they're in the industry and they have been for a very long time and they're doing everything that they can but there's no kind of middle ground. And I love that you're opening up that conversation. Well, I really feel like, again, in the last few years, I mean, I'm, and you know, you, you must have seen this too, so much that everyone now has their own story to tell, their own ideas, their own experiences about climate change. So it's not a case which it used to be of like one group of people with all the information and everyone else feeling like, oh God, I have to be if I don't understand all this science and all this policy, I can't engage with this. Now everyone has their own experience of this and they're all, we're all kind of going through our own journeys with this stuff. So you've got a hundred people in the, in the theater, you've got a hundred different perspectives and a hundred different places on the journey. And so, yeah, this is a kind of 75 minutes. It's a really, it's a really quick show and it's just maybe 30 different snapshot stories that just try and capture some of the the things taking place, uh, particularly in climate science. And I think the research, that's probably the, the field that I have the most knowledge of. But then also some really interesting stuff taking place in the world of climate finance. Sounds incredibly dry, but actually, you know, in one, <laughs> in one perspective, what's happening within the, the fights happening within banks and financial institutions right now are more kind of interesting and, and kind of influential than anything that's happening in the public sphere. You know, they're happening out of sight, they're happening behind closed doors, but they're shaping our world for the next few decades. And so I wanted to capture a bit of that, but also down to street level. And as part of the show, we do have a little kind of DIY section where we teach the audience how to let down the tires of an SUV. So we give everyone the kind of, you know, a little bit of practical know-how um, that they can go out and, you know, themselves kind of do some kind of on the street activism. So yeah, we, we shift across, we shift across a few different modes. Absolutely. Sounds like a fun spin on some quite dry <laughs> topics, I'm sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of, before we kind of move on, I just wanted to focus again on your kind of your learnings because I find it so fascinating from kind of what you were saying at the start about things that weren't working. So what advice would you have for other artists and theatre makers who are interested in addressing climate change through their creative work? But kind of are there any kind of, yeah, key learnings or things that you would do differently? I think at this moment, one useful frame to remember, and I this is probably not new to you and it's probably not new to many of the people listening to this, but climate change is not an issue. It's it's too big to be an issue. You know, maybe 30 years ago, we could point to climate change and be like, oh, yeah, there it is. It's over there. We can talk about it. We can try and address it. We can stop it. But now climate change has sort of shifted. It's come. It's It's hit us. We're in it. And it's shaping everything. You know, it's all around us and inside us. As we have this conversation, Lottie, you and I, we're both in different places, but we're both breathing in lungfuls of air that have 421 parts per million carbon dioxide. So we're both, you know, the crisis is in us. It's in the room with us in all around us. And it sort of sits behind every other issue. So to talk about climate change is somehow, in some ways, it's sort of almost not the point. I think I talk about climate change from a, a research perspective. A lot of my work just comes from speaking with scientists. And so that has been traditionally the way we, we understand climate change. So that's sort of 
it's easy to put what I do in the climate box. But basically everyone out there, every artist is making work about the climate, whether they put it in the those words or not, because climate has influenced everything and shaped everything. So I actually, the advice that I have to younger artists is often just be like, don't worry about it, let it go. You don't need to use the language of parts per million or atmospheric concentration. You don't need to use that language to talk about climate because everything you do, the knowledge you have, the perspective you have is shaped by climate. And we're in this era, this, you know, the language of the kind of climate era or, you know, Anthropocene, if you prefer that term, we're in this moment in history where everything is influenced and affected by that. So you don't need to kind of talk about it in those terms to be talking about it. And, um, yeah, I kind of almost want to let artists off the hook a bit to be like, you don't, you don't need to have a kind of sustainability language in the show for it to be about climate, you know, particularly in this country. Anything that sort of speaks about First Nations issues obviously has a climate connection. Anything that speaks about gender is likely to be in some way connected to climate change, class, race. These issues are all sort of uh, influenced and affected by climate. And I think most artists will have a perspective on some or all of these things. So I think, yeah, it's almost too big to be a subject. And I say this guiltily knowing that I put climate in the title of the show. So this is me being very hypocritical, but yeah, I'm not sure that you need it in there. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I think it's often that reminder that you're right, people might have heard that advice before in the past. But it is that reminder to kind of almost again, like, don't overthink it, let your creativity take it where it is going and don't force it and don't push it. Yeah, especially now, you know, again, a decade ago, we had this really technical framing of climate change, and we just don't have that anymore. And thankfully, I'm so grateful the language of of climate justice emerged that led us to sort of say, oh, actually, you know what, rather than always hearing from scientists or always hearing from politicians, let's talk to people who are affected. And let's hear those voices. And frankly, all of us are affected. So everyone has a valid perspective on this, whether you consider yourself an expert or not. No, I couldn't agree more. So I just wanted to finish up this podcast episode with one big juicy question. And that is, I ask every guest this, don't worry, I'm not just picking on you. What is one actionable thing that our guests can do tomorrow to help save our planet? Okay, well, I I mean, in a really sort of concrete, simple terms, I think they should listen to this podcast, Lottie, because this has been my... (laughs) actionable task of learning a whole bunch of things about practical sustainability tips, which I had never encountered before. So thank you for doing this work. More broadly, I kind of adhere to the advice a colleague of mine, Ben Yo, suggests that that we should always be kind of thinking of three things. Um, We should always be trying to take our biggest impact that we have and try and reduce it and try and find some project or initiative or organization that we think is doing good work and support them. And we should always be trying to have one conversation. So if you kind of always are thinking of those three things, three things feels like enough to me. I think, you know, you can kind of go drive yourself insane trying to reduce every single emission in your kind of lifestyle and, and you know, trying to support 100 different organizations. And you burn yourself out really quickly for not much value. But I think if you're always thinking about the three big things that you can do, reducing one in your biggest emission, supporting one good organization and having one conversation, then I think that's that's a good mindset to hold on. No, I think it's some great advice and very practical and something that everybody can walk away and do tomorrow. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Such a pleasure, Lottie. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.